EMS One Academy, a training solution designed for EMS chiefs, offers more than 200 courses and 250 hours of continuing education. Our modern learning solution includes flexible reporting capabilities and features to upload agency-specific courses and track credentials for recertification. Easily streamline daily administrative workflow with EMS One Academy. Start your free trial. Visit www.emsoneacademy.com slash insideems. Here it is, Independence Week, and it's once again time to go inside EMS. I'm your host, Chris Sublero, and I guess we can call Independence Week the original Brexit. I mean, because it was the original, right? Throwing them out. Here's the guy that's chuckling in the background. KG, Kelly Grayson, what do you think? Oh, man. Yeah, Brexit 1776, I like to think of it. That's Uh, it, man. That's the original. Thank God for for British marksmanship, you know? Exactly. You know, it's funny. You know, I used to do the uh, EMS Leadership Podcast, and I used to have Rob Lawrence on and Don Lundy and Patrick Pianess and a lot of great EMS leaders. And every time I would joke with Rob Lawrence, he was the COO of Richmond, Virginia, and yeah. uh, he has a British accent, and I used to joke with him that that was the original accent for the state of Virginia. <laughs> Before we got a better one. Exactly. So, but uh, so what's going on, man? It's summertime, summertime, some, some, summertime. How's that going down there in Louisiana? Ah, I just got back from Alaska. It, it was wonderful. Just celebrated uh, July Fourth with uh, with a coworker and and his wife yesterday, and. Things are good. If it were for thunderstorms knocking out my internet and, and half my electronics, things would be really good. But well, uh, that is the that is the such as life things that we uh, come up against, I guess. Sure. But your Alaska trip looked awesome. You caught some really great fish. That halibut must have been good eating. Yeah, it's it's like uh, it's like winching up a kitchen table from two hundred fifty feet down the seafloor, but uh, it's uh, the halibut's good and the sockeye fishing was was really good. We we missed out on the king salmon because of low numbers, but we're planning on doing it again soon. All right, awesome, man. You know, I think you know Kelly. As we think about the shows that we do, we try to kind of bring them back to the discussions that we have and really kind of you know bring our interests. Uh, and hopefully the listeners' interest into the topics and the things that we often talk about. One of the big things that you and I have really been hard on, I think, is the process of EMS education. And when we think about how we're training our EMTs, when we think about how we're training our paramedics, we've said it before. We both feel the same way that, you know, we teach the paramedics when you, you see A, you do B. When you see B, you do C. And then we expect them to be critical thinkers when they come out of school. And, and we know that that's, you know, we're training them as, as linear thinkers and they not, and not really as critical thinkers. But today, yeah. one of the things that I'm down here in Florida enjoying a little bit of vacation and my, my little niece and my, uh, my niece's daughter is going out with uh, a, a boy and he's in paramedic school. We were kind of chatting about it and I thought it would be cool to bring him on, we'll, we'll uh, uh, intimidate him a little bit just from a family perspective, Kelly, so we make sure he's uh, doing the right thing with the need. But he's in paramedic school. I thought it'd be good to kind of hear firsthand from somebody who's going through the things that we talk about and kind of see if there's any changes and kind of see the hurdles and those types of things. But 
here he is, Regan DeLuca. Regan, thanks for coming on Inside EMS. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me, and uh, happy Fourth of July. And so we talk about you know paramedic school. How, maybe just tell us a little bit about your course. So how long has it been? How long before you graduate? What are you learning right now? So I am currently a what they call phase three uh, paramedic student at uh, Pasco Hernando State College. Um, I finish up at the end of July, actually. Um, and at this point, we've gone over everything that you could learn in the uh, core curriculum and all that stuff. And we're just uh, practicing for final scenarios in our NREMT test out. All right, man. So for all intent and purposes, you're done. Pretty much, yeah. They they say I'm a functioning paramedic essentially. In your in your uh, phase three, Regan, uh, are you you doing clinical rotation still, or has all that been completed as well? Um. So the way our program is set up is we do so we we run with the the Pasco Fire Department. So we do for second phase. They're basically semesters, so they're four months each. Uh, second phase is when you start your ride along. You you do ten thirteen hour clinical rotations. And then for third phase, you do um, 13 24-hour rotations. So I just finished up my 11th 24-hour rotation this morning. Um, so I got two more to go. What I've been told is that, that that's way more hours than, your, than I guess, what the baseline, uh, you know, hours is for uh, paramedic school. But it's a lot, and it's a lot, of, it's, it, it's a lot to, to work with if you have a job in EMS or anything like that. A lot of hours. Yeah, I mean, that, and that's just the uh, tip of the iceberg when you talk about all those challenges. So how long is the course total? So four semesters, is that a year? It's three semesters, so it's, it's yeah, it's a whole year. Three, four-month semesters. And you'll, you'll graduate with a certificate, right? Yeah. All right. So, all right, well, let's get to the core of this then. So in the courses that you've taken, what has given you the most challenge when it comes to, was it medical, respiratory, was it cardiology? Where did you have the most challenge in your training? So actually, when I first got accepted into paramedic school, I was deathly afraid of uh, 12 leads. I, I would look at one out on the street, had no idea what I was looking at. I didn't know what any of the numbers meant, I didn't anything. So before I got, or before I started, I actually did a lot of uh, research into 12 leads, what they were, what they showed you know which lead correlates with what part of the heart so by the time i came into paramedic school for a semester I, I i felt pretty confident with with 12 leads um as the course went on respiratory was what killed me i i didn't know you know if a then b as far as cpap as far as uh any type of breathing treatments i had no idea um but you know you learn that as you go on and then the drugs uh, is another thing that scares you, um, but you learn that as you go on as well. Um, in third phase right now, the thing that scares me the most is probably pediatrics, and I think I could speak for most people in my class when I say pediatrics scares everybody. So yeah, and and it's not just your class either. That's that's EMS wide. It seems like <laughs> it's interesting that you said uh, you said the respiratory gave you the most problems. It was it was just uh, the, was it the pathophysiology of different disease processes or was it just your, your decision-making on, on what treatment to do for what particular illness? So it was a little bit of the pathophysiology and the fact that where I work now, we never run respiratory calls. I work for a private BLS company. We don't ever deal with respiratory calls. They, that's always ALS. So it's just one of those things that's very new to you when you go into school. And, um, 
it just scared me. I, I, you know, people can decompensate real quick with respiratory calls and it's just a whole lot to think about at one time. But as you do it more, I got a lot more comfortable with it. So. Yeah. And your, your EMT training, the respiratory approach to respiratory emergencies was basically, uh, give them lots of oxygen and let the hospital sort it out. Or were you, were yeah. you empowered to actually do something about that? It was basically, uh, Give them oxygen. If that's not working, upgrade the call. That's that's basically what my EMT. Yeah, yeah. That that's a huge gap in between the BLS and the ALS levels. Is there? There's a significant knowledge gap. You know, going from from EMT to paramedic, and especially if you don't work in an ALS system, like a, a quite a few paramedic uh, students do. You know, they're they're going to paramedic school to get out of the the system that they're in, uh, mm-hmm. and and they don't they don't get the the patient contacts and the the pattern recognition that you you need to to really excel. Right. So rather than talking about respiratory for EMTs, it should be shades of blue. So if they're normal color, this is what they look like. If they have just a slight tinge around their lips, but it's just uh, crazy that they're not teaching a little bit more than that to those EMTs. But so as you now, when you think about this process of, you know, you talk about the respiratory, you talk about cardiology, you feel comfortable with 12 lead in your in your approach right now to your ride-alongs where you're doing 24-hour shifts, you're working with the fire department, and it's probably given you some access to being the lead on some paramedic calls with mm-hmm. somebody with you, a, a preceptor that's able to kind of help you along. What, what gives you, you know, you talked about, and I just want to touch on it really quick, you talked about pediatrics being that trepidation and it's funny that you say it. Uh, Kelly and I chuckled probably uh, as you mentioned it because that's the call that gives a lot of paramedics uh, some trepidation. But I, the advice I want to give you is if you know that that's a weakness, what are you doing to turn it into a strength? But So now that you're into this, uh, into your ride-alongs, what gives you the most fear now? Is it still just a pediatric call or, or where do you fall back on? Um. Doing my ride-alongs now, I feel pretty comfortable. My my uh, my crew that I work with, uh, I work. Uh, the reason why um, it's taken me so long to do them all is because I've been doing them with the same exact people every single time that they work. I do them with those people, so they're really good about letting me do everything but the report. They they let me do the assessments. They let me do the everything. I could tell people what to do without you know feeling like a you know like a jerk. I mean, there's a couple calls when you hear them come over the radio that still get me you know shaking. I mean, I've ran a couple codes. They still get you a little scared every once in a while, especially if you see it that they're young. But again, pediatrics, we, we, we don't transport too many pediatrics, but I've only ran two or three pediatric calls in school. And so anytime a pediatric call comes out over the radio, it really uh, gets me going. One of my questions, you, you had mentioned the, the things that gave you some pause as you were getting into class and the things that, that typically uh, uh, trip up most paramedic students. And I, I have have my own opinions on the matter. I just want to make sure that I'm not uh, inherently biased and, and and blinkered in my thinking. Uh, on the pharmacology, what gave you the what gave you the most uh, problems in your pharmacology uh, versus what you thought would give you the most problems? What did you fear most about pharmacology before you got into it? The just the pure number of drugs. Honestly, mm-hmm. I, you have to. They, they'll give you a couple drug cards to start off, and you think you got to remember all these indications, contraindications, you know, uh-huh. all this stuff. But that's what initially scared me. But what ends up getting you the most is having to remember what these dosages are in emergent situations. I, and uh-huh. if it isn't that, it's going to definitely be <laughs> drug math. And that turned out to be the, the, the toughest part for you is the med math stuff? Yeah, Absolutely. 
you know, it's it's interesting to me that, and and I think personal opinion, I think we kind of go about it backwards. Uh, and and one of the things I've become a big fan of in in recent years is cognitive offloading. In other words, don't devote brain power to that are you can uh, devote to other things. You know, memorizing trivia essentially um it's understandable that that in a code or an emergency situation where the administration of the drug uh, is both time sensitive and 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 needs to be very accurate you have to memorize those drug doses and those formulas and, and those sort of things but many of the other things that we yeah, traditionally have made paramedic students memorize uh mainly because we were made to memorize them when we were students are really not that time sensitive and there are things that you can you can look up and and you know and and i think that's the thing i I try to uh, stress to my students the most is is you know some things are important to remember and be able to recall immediately and other things uh it's probably a better approach to to look it up and devote that brain power to doing something else like problem solving in your in your resuscitation um the other thing i was going to ask you because i'm asking you two questions in a row because chris got to do the same um, how much of a disconnect have you seen between your classroom uh, and and your precepting? Uh, I know one of the common problems, uh, the common weak link in many paramedic programs, is that it tends to break down at the street level when you do precepting. Either the the guys precepting you are not really trained as educators, or they haven't communicated well with with your classroom instructors as to what is needed and what's important and that sort of thing have you have you had much conflict there or or some seasoned grizzled old paramedics "Ah, you don't need to know all that crap yeah um actually so when i when i started doing my uh 13 hour rides for my second semester um Mm -hmm. a lot of these paramedics they don't that they if if you get in their way uh, you know for lack of a better term They'll get on you and they'll be like, well, we don't get paid any extra to babysit you. And that's what they'll call it, babysitting you. If you don't know what you're doing, if you're not super confident in what you're doing, they're babysitting you in their eyes. When you first start, you feel, you know, useless. They they don't want to really help you. As you get more confident and you show these people, sometimes you have to step in front of them and say, hey, I'm going to do this. You know, like this, it's my turn. My turn to do this. Um, That's when they start to say, oh, okay, you know, maybe he does know what he's doing. He's not really getting in my way. Or he's working alongside me or whatever. But, um, yeah, there was definitely a, a disconnect between the classroom. And, and there still is. But, you know, when I first started, definitely a noticeable disconnect. I would actually go up to my teachers and say, you know, are, are they all like this? Are they all, you know, so pumped about everything, you know? But you're, you're not alone in that. It's, that's not limited to your program. That's a common failing in, in many EMS education programs. It's uh, the people that we we rely on to to help our students make sense of what we, they learn in the classroom and apply it on the street often are not natural teachers. And the only reason they're preceptors is because they managed to hang around with it without getting fired longer than anybody else. One of the things you said, Regan, I thought was really interesting and I've heard it before as well. And Kelly, I'm, I'm sure you've heard it is that we don't get paid any more money for this. And, uh, you know, hopefully the people that are the preceptors or that they're the field training officers, you know, they really kind of take pride in what they're doing, and they enjoy having students on their truck. I used to love to have students on my truck. I used to love to have people that I would uh, be a field training officer for. I always used to talk to new EMTs and the nasal trumpeting themselves, but that's another show. That's another story. <laughs> and, um, you know, so one of the things, though, I, I always thought is 
there really needs to be some type of, I don't know, incentive for those preceptors. And one mm -hmm. of the things that I was trying to do uh, in my last job was to try to get them uh, some free college classes. So if you were a pre preceptor of a, of a student, you know, the college would give you a break on tuition or would give you one free class a semester or something like that. You know, if there's no more money, we need to be creative in what we could do for these preceptors to give them a little something for their time. Because this way, because their knowledge is really important to these students and the relationship is really important. But to hear that I'm not here to babysit you and I'm not here to uh, teach you and don't get in my way, that really kind of makes for uh, a, a hard start into the EMS world, Kelly. Yeah, I would say so, but I'd also take a different tack with it. Another approach would be uh, quit designating those type of people as preceptors. It's not that their knowledge base is limited or, or that they don't have knowledge to pass on. The problem is in the motivation. Uh, and, and, you know, I wrote an article about this some time ago. That it's hard to be consider yourself a steward of your profession and, and, uh, and look at your role in, in EMS as, as a whole um, when you're still worrying about your next patient and your next paycheck. And when you're at that point in your career, you don't care about a student. You care about you and your patient, uh, hopefully, if you, you care about your patient. But you, you haven't gotten to that point in, I guess, Maslow's hierarchy where you've, you've, you've reached self-actualization, you know, and you're starting to turn your focus outward. Those are the people that we need to be choosing as preceptors. Uh, but we do it based on skill um, and really, you know, the skill is, is important, but the attitude uh, is probably the, the soft skills are probably the more important traits to look for uh, in preceptors. So it's not so much a uh, skills proficiency. It's, it's uh, their attitude about their job and their career and, and, and that sort of thing. So soft skills are probably the most important things. Yeah, I think. So now, uh, I guess as you're getting ready to uh, complete paramedic school, are you ready are you ready for that call? Are you ready to take on your own ambulance? Are you ready to be in charge of an EMT? And if you say yes, what makes you think you're ready? I, I'd say I am, yeah. Um, just last night even, I, I just felt very comfortable. You know, my, my medics have to sleep in the chair working on his report, and I'm asking all the questions. It, I just feel confident. You know, I'm not going in there scared of uh, – most of these calls, not and even even the 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 weird, you know, the the calls that make me a little uncomfortable. That it, it's a good uncomfortable. It's not a bad uncomfortable. Yeah. It's a oh boy, you know, I haven't really seen this yet, you know, but let's go. I'm ready to go. Um, I just I feel confident about it, and I I feel confident confident that I'm going to do well on this uh, state test. They've 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 prepped me pretty well here at this school, um, as far as you know, clinical hours. I just feel like I'm ready to, to, to do it. I, uh, on the subject of confidence and competence and, and cockiness. Yeah. I, I think it, you have to have a certain amount of ego and just a little <laughs> touch of cockiness to be a good medic. Uh, you don't, you don't go overboard with it, but you, you have to be able to jump into a situation and, and be, uh, uh, confident in your ability to handle it. There's that's a leadership function as well. But on that subject, let me ask you something. This is another bugaboo I've had with EMS education in recent years. Um, how many airway attempts or how many intubation attempts did you have to have to graduate from your program? I want to say we had to have 30. 
total. Yeah. 30, 30 intubation attempts or successes or what? I want to say it's uh, it's a it's thirty I think attempts, and, and then you can okay. mix your lab skills I believe as well. Okay. Oh, okay. So they didn't you didn't have to have necessarily thirty attempts on on human beings. You could do yeah. them on simulators as well. Yeah. Okay. I personally um, only hit one in the field, but well, we also do our OR clinicals and all that stuff. So. Well, well, let me tell you, um, thirty is better than many programs. Um, it's still not nearly enough to, to even give you an inkling about how little you know about advanced airway management. Oh, so keep that in mind. And, and there's gonna, that's a steep learning curve when, when someone's ability to breathe is at risk. Uh, so keep that in mind that, that paramedic school in, in recent years has not prepared people uh, to manage airways effectively. And that's something you're going to just, you're going to have to seek extra education on at every single opportunity. Yeah. And I, I think that the problem with that too is, I mean, we've had plenty of patients that we've had to intubate. The problem is that the paramedics that precept us, you know, they want to hit it. They don't, they don't want to pass yeah. it off to a student. Uh, they, they'll, they'll show us what they're doing, but you know, it's, it's on them to, to hit the tube in their, in their mind. They don't want to pass it off. So yeah. yeah. And I think that that jumps right into, again, the challenge that goes on in, in that preceptor world. But, you know, one of the things that I think you've got to think about as well is when you graduate from paramedic school, you, you need to understand that your education doesn't stop. It, it doesn't mean that you're ready and you understand. Kelly brings up a good point when he talks about airway management and, you know, the development of that knowledge and those skills. And uh, Kelly and I have talked on this show, Regan, quite a bit about we may not be as quick to intubate somebody as we were, you know, 10 or 15 years ago when we were kind of doing that. But the reason I think the transition from his point is when you leave school, you need to pick a subject a month or a subject a week, and you, while you're on duty, you need to be able to study that subject. You need to be able to understand the pathophysiology. You need to understand the disease process. You need to understand the, the indications and the contraindications of a medication. You need to understand that when you give those medications, what's supposed to happen. But a lot of the failure, Kelly, I think you'll be able to back me up on this, a lot of the failure that happens when a student leaves paramedic school is he thinks he knows everything there is to know. And if you know everything there is to know about EMS, raise your hand. Between Kelly and I, we're sitting on, what, 55 years of experience, Kelly? And I don't think we, I don't think we could raise our hand. But isn't that one of the biggest things that you find in your uh, yeah. run-ins in, in, in your daily that people just think they know it all? Yeah, dude, dude, I was that paramedic. Oh, I was. Too. I was that paramedic. Dude, I was I, you know, I've always maintained that paramedic school graduates uh, two broad categories of, of students: uh, the guys who are unreasonably cocky, uh, and and those who are scared of their own shadow and and, and timid uh, for the first several years of their career because they're over over. Uh, by the responsibility they have. Uh, I was that first guy. I was the guy that was ready to go out, save lives, and stamp out disease and pestilence if someone just had the damn common courtesy to die in front of me. Uh, you know, and and it took killing a patient to to kind of make me shift my mindset a little bit and 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 uh, really question myself and and became a better paramedic and better man because of it. But yeah, that's going to be a problem, and and that's something that that. Regan will will urge you to, to to strive to overcome because 
dude, you're you're a couple months away from getting your learner's permit, uh, and that's a uh, that's not something to be to be demeaned or belittled. That's a heck of an accomplishment to get a paramedic patch, um, but it's not the greatest accomplishment in the world. And the loan, learning only starts when you sew that patch on your sleeve. Uh, you're gonna you're gonna grow a lot in the next five years uh, of your career, and I think you'll discover. Uh, if we're still doing this podcast five years from now, um, that much of what you learned wasn't all that important and much of what you have learned that is important wasn't even included in your class. But, hey, that's what we think. We'd like to hear what you think. Email us at the show at ems1.com. Don't forget to rate us on iTunes. And for myself, co-host Chris Cevalero, and our guest this week, paramedic student Regan, we'll see you guys next week. Thanks for tuning in to Inside EMS.